Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can consider us car talk because we focus on where the rubber meets the road. And on this epic road trip down the information superhighway, I need a better cliche to start the show. It's with me, as always, is Andy Leonard. Hey, Frank, how you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been, I, I know, in the kind of the green, the virtual green room, uh, you said you've had quite a day. I've had quite... I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay. I was just saying I have. But you've had a... You've had a day as well. You were sharing with me. Right. Well. So we're going to start this off uh, with a little bit of sad news. And for that, I'm going to yes. use the little dramatic music we have. That is dramatic. Isn't it? It's kind of sad. It is. Yeah. So after 30 years of being in wow. production, I think it's actually 33 years, MSDN Magazine um, is ceasing operations in November. Darn it. I know. I'm shocked. Um, well, I mean, I, I found out yesterday, but I couldn't tell anyone. <laughs> right. But, right. Um, well, I saw the tweet, um, and I kind of, uh, you know, I retweeted the announcement today. Uh, we're recording this on the 2nd of August, right. 2019. We're getting and, uh, earlier between, like, record and launch. This is, uh, it's almost like we're mature adults again. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we... We had a good run going there for a while. I think we can get back to it. It's you know, it's a combination of habit and discipline. Right. We're getting there. We're getting there. We'll get back. But, man, yeah, MSDN. So I, I know you wrote, um, most recently, you wrote the Artificially Intelligent column. Right. I mentioned in my tweet that I didn't have, as far as I know, I don't, I don't think I ever had anything published in MSDN. But I did get um, credit for doing some of the technical editing. Oh, yeah, you did a lot of the technical editing, actually. Well, it was it was a lot of fun, and I got to tell folks, um, I I imagine those archives are going to be around for a while, but um, just in case, <laughs> you um, might want to print them. <laughs> if you've just got in case. <laughs> yeah, I would go out with the screen scraper here, and you know, grab as much of that as you can. It was, um, but I, I learned an awful lot, Frank, about data science. That was. Uh, a lot of my introduction to data science was uh, doing the technical edits on, you know, on your uh, on your articles there for artificially intelligent. Cool, man. Thanks. And it's um, between that and the show. Whenever I go somewhere, people recognize me for that, which is, yep. uh, it, you know, it, it, it it's a nice feeling, you know, because um, cool, writing yeah. can be a very there's a reason why if you look at like famous writers like Hemingway, Hunter Thompson. Um, and I'm sure scores of others. Um, there's a reason why they slowly go insane. <laughs> um, and not that I have, but like, um, there's definitely been moments when you when you're writing and you've written. Uh, I think I only have one book to my name. You have at least a dozen from 2018, I think. I don't yeah. know what your body count. Yeah, is, there's a bunch. Uh, your book count for 2019 is, but. <laughs> It's going to kind of depend. I, I've slacked off. I haven't had anything go live since 2017. and But that year was, um, I had three titles. Um, 
you know, published. And what I'm hoping to do is I've got, basically I have five now in the works. Um, one of them, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to participate in, although it breaks my heart to not, I'm not going to mention it because, but it's a, I will mention it later. It's going to be a great book. No. It's one of those anthologies where a lot of authors pile in and, and share tidbits and, I love working on those. And the worst part of this one is I said I would do it. And then I missed some emails and I'm, when I caught up, it was too late. I think it's good. You so, should that because, um, on, you know, a lot of people think that they're the only ones that kind of make mistakes like that. I assure you. Oh, not. gosh. <laughs> yeah. We don't have enough time. <laughs> uh, that'll be season four. That would take us into season four. Um, but, um, but one thing, I want to give a big shout out to Rachel Appel. I don't know if she listens to the show as a habit, uh, but um, she had rejoined Microsoft and she was she offered me the job to do the column after I tech reviewed a bunch of stuff. And um, so back then it was about you know UWP development and uh, Windows development. So uh, yeah, so a few you know a few years ago I can get the exact date and time, but uh, I switched it over to AI and data science. So based on kind of demand, cool. which was it was a it was a fun experience. Writing is always very challenging, but um, you know it's mm -hmm. sad to see it go. So I don't know. It really is. Yeah, I learned so much from that magazine, Frank. Um, not just tech editing your articles, but I did learn a ton doing that. But just over the years, and I've still got, you know, stacks of old issues um, stored away in the attic, and there's there's sticky notes sticking oh, out yeah. of them that has like that was a that was a classic. I mean, I remember uh, when I was writing my um, um, my you know they they sent an email to all the authors as well as personal phone calls, but uh, I remember writing like you know like my first encounter with was the Microsoft uh, Internet Developers Journal or something like that. I forget the exact name. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah. um, I remember picking up a copy of that because when I was at Barnes & Noble, uh, before it became barnesandnoble.com, they had switched from going with a, um, uh, a Unix-based platform solution to alt what at the time was uh, Windows NT. Um, base solution. So I, I picked that out. I was like, well, that's a big jump. It was a big jump and thereby hangs a tail. Uh, mm -hmm. One day I will explain kind of the, the ridiculousness of that time period in Silicon Alley during the first dot com boom. Um, but, wow. but yeah, that was a big jump. It was pretty dramatic and um, it was, uh, you know, I just remember picking it up and saying, this is actually written pretty well. Cause at the time I was not a Microsoft fan and, um, not very supportive of our CEO's decision, um, but uh, over time it kind of it kind of grew on me. I remember reading MSDN, you know, two thousand one, and it was a, it was an interesting article. I mean, interesting magazine, like really well put together. So yeah, it really was. Yeah, I'd say a flagship. It really was. It really was. So I don't know what's going to replace it, or or you know what will come from the ashes, but we'll see. We'll see. So the first question, we're calling this kind of viewer mail, although we really don't have viewers. We'll call this listener mail. Um, listener, listener mail. I like that. Uh, yeah. The first question I got was last week we spoke to Brent Ozar. And yeah. he, if you do a search for his name, more often than not, you'll get a reference to something called no lock. 
And I kind of thought I knew what it was. It's definitely like a a data engineering term. And um, do we have a data engineer in the house? Um, let me look. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, I'm here. (laughs) So for (laughs) you're a certified data engineer. I mean, the big data certification is really, I think, that one is. Um, what's it's actually called? Data? Is it called data engineer? It's called something else, but effectively, it's data engineering. No, big Big data. data. That's right. Something for big, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big data cert on edX, and I think you actually finished it No, we finished I at the did. same time. We worked on the oh. same project. Yeah. Oh, did we that finish was the project you wanna... Did we work we on did. that? We did. That's the one we worked on together. That's right. We did. We did the uh, the final piece. But, yeah, that's data engineering. So the the show with Brent, if you haven't listened to it, um, you know, make some time to listen to that show. Brent is a very interesting character. He's a master of marketing. And he's also a Microsoft certified master in SQL Server. Um, it's a really interesting combination. He has a uh, he has a gift for teaching. I can't say enough nice things about it. I loved it. And he mentioned this NOLOC. And I think I actually brought it up because I know how much he hates it. I mean, how much he just uh, doesn't want people to use it. But and he's right. There are some dangers. So, in using so first it. off, what is? So I have two questions. What is it? Um, and two, sure, sure. why would you use it? And I lied. There's actually a third question. How is his name associated with it? Because okay. like, if you do the Google auto suggest, if uh, it actually came up like no lock, <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of funny. Okay. So first off, let's go with um, um, I'll play the noob because I'm not. I I, I I actually had to ask you like after the show was was launched. What exactly is it? I think I know what it is, but let's let's start there. Like, what exactly is no lock? Right. So NOLOC is a table hint. And when you, um, when you write a, a transact SQL statement, you can say select and then a list of column names. You can even do select star if you'd like to. Uh, and it works and it's less, you know, there's less impact nowadays on select star than it was in the past, but it's still not zero. And you want to put in column names. And then you say from, and then a table or a view name. And when you're doing a table name, you can say after the name of the table, you could place an alias or maybe just the table name itself. And then you could say with, and then in parentheses, no lock. And that's, you know, that's what it is. It, it is a table hint. It instructs the, um, the query engine in a SQL Server to return, you know, the data that you're going after. If you've got a list of columns in a table, it'll bring back those lists of columns from that table. And when you say with no lock, it um, it actually changes the way that it reads that data. So I want to roll back just a little bit here, Frank. There's an old principle in relational database engines called ACID, at A-C-I-D. And it's uh, atomicity, uh, consistency, isolation, and durability. That's what ACID means. And... Now, for all you cool kids in the Cosmos DB NoSQL <laughs> world, this does not necessarily apply. Just FYI. All right. It's still there, right? But you can change. And what I love about it. It's different, it, though. It is different. And, and in the NoSQL, anything NoSQL, the, one of the, the big differences between that and relational databases or RD, RDBMSs is that you can have, uh, you can play with consistency. So you can say it's eventually right. consistent. 
And Brent- so in a, in a case, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, though we do we do meander. That's what we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, is um, you would not want eventual consistency in like a bank or financial transaction database. Most likely not. Because, um, <laughs> and there's a reason. But, right, right, right. So, but but if you're doing like your Instagram feed or LinkedIn, if if my if Andy, who may be uh, in Farmville, sees my LinkedIn update two minutes after somebody in um, Singapore mm-hmm. sees my update to LinkedIn, nobody gets hurt, nobody gets killed, right. <laughs> and, nobody gets right. nobody dies. But in a financial transaction, that could be very, very icky. Absolutely, it could. So there's this idea about transactional versus non-transactional data storage and and data movement. And it even comes into play in data engineering or or integration. And just, you know, the the idea behind NOLOC is you're you're basically instructing the engine to, um, to bring you back the data that it has um, I don't. I don't want to say this wrong, but it, it's it's not necessarily the current state of that data. There's a thing we can call we call a dirty read in data warehousing. And without diving too deep into the mechanics, and again, I can't go but so deep into the mechanics of the SQL Server relational engine. But I can share with you that there is multiple states of this data before it reaches this state that we would call um, consistent. And it does it very, very quickly. And a lot of, of you know, database masters like Brent and others, um, they make money by, by making that data consistent quicker. They make the, the data consistency, the data get written to the drives or the SAN or whatever the story is. They tune that so that it happens very, very quickly. And when that happens, now once you've got in a relational database, once the data becomes consistent, then you can go read that data and everybody gets the same answer to the same question. You can, you know, and keep in mind, a lot of this is about state management, right? And you did a lot. You just told a story about how you worked in the early days mm-hmm. with barnesandnoble.com. And, and, you know, back in the web days and even now in the web days, it's, it's uh, there's a lot about, you know, a lot about this that you want to be decoupled. You want things to be stateless. And, you know, and a database is just the opposite of that when you're talking about a relational database. It is, it's the very definition of stateful. And so, you know, that's, you can, you can read data using NOLOC and you can get back inconsistent, non-current, dirty data. It's not accurate. And that's what makes it bad. And that's what Brent's, the reason Brent's name shows up with that is he's written a lot and broken down, you know, how to explain this. He and people that work with him and or, and or used to work with him, um, they've broken these concepts down so that, you know, data engineers like me can understand. <laughs> so, one such, one such person is, um, is Kendra Little. And we want Kendra on the show. She works for Redgate. Um, I think the reason she's ha- he hasn't been on the show so far is I've neglected to ask her. So, <clears throat> well, for God's sake, don't, she's got- for God's sake, don't ask on Twitter. Just kidding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Logs. Okay. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that- 
So, One day we're going to tell that story, but, but, but not here, today. Here's a statement, and then if you're really clever, you'll figure it out. Andy, we need a bulletproof way okay. not to get blocked on Twitter when we request somebody to join our show. That's all I'll say. <laughs> That's the second time you've is said it? that. I know I, I've Actually, said you it. tweeted I, it. I, I, I did tweet that. That's right, but I never said you it on the actual that. show. Oh, sorry. You didn't say it. And you're right. Uh, Kendra has uh, – she works for Redgate. She's an evangelist, super smart, and she's really nice too. And she has a website called SQL Workbooks, sqlworkbooks.com. And you, the way I found it, um, I found, well, I'm friends with Kendra, so she let me know early on she was doing this. But the, she has these nice short lessons. There's about a three-minute lesson on the no-log hint. And the way I found it was I went to Bengal and typed in uh, SQL Server no-log, and I believe it was like one of the top two or three responses i saw sql workbooks i knew it was kendra i went over there and we'll put this cool. in the show notes we'll put the link to so is this she does a marvelous job of describing. so is, is the no lock hint is that is that unique to t-sql or transact sql and for those of you who don't know t-sql t-sql is the dialect of sql associated yeah. with sql server that's correct and as far as i know the answer is yes but i'm not qualified because i don't keep up with the other variations of I, like I've done a little PL SQL, that's Oracle's language. I've done some DB2. Um, I've done some. So it's not part of the ISO standard. So I guess. Or it may not be. Um, Maybe. I, I don't think it is. I'm not sure, and I could be wrong. I, I just since I focus so much on. SQL, right, right. So well, I mean, it doesn't seem like something that you know, it would I'm be here. part of the ISO version. It seems to be wrong. Right. It seems, it seems like be. counter I, counter to the needs of like, you know, quote, unquote, the standard. Well, here's the reason why people use it in the first place is, if, especially when you're talking about relational database, um, lock escalation and lock management is a huge thing. And it's for, you know, it's uh, primarily for the uh, for the consistency piece, but uh, it, it begins to interfere with some of the other pieces of, uh, of SQL Server. Some of, so if if Frank, if I'm updating a table and the update is ongoing, when you try to read from that table, you try to execute a select statement against that table, there there may be a lock that gets in the way. It's it's a very complex mechanism, especially now in uh, 2019. But that's why locks exist. They exist so that, you know, so I can't write an up. I can't be in the middle of an update statement, and then you come along and you execute an update statement, and, and you know, and we have to battle. That's part of the reason locks exist. Um, while a table is is being um, updated, or while while there are even new rows being inserted, there are other operations that would just be a read that would be prevented by that. So you're trying to count the number of rows in a table, for instance, and there's, you know, there's a um, you know, there's a lock on that table. And again, I'm way, way, way oversimplifying this. And if you want to call me out on it, Andy.Leonard at ENTDNA.com. Drop me a, a nasty uh, egram. Uh, I'm sorry, egram. A nasty gram. That, that straightens me out. But the reason these exist is so we won't get bad answers back. And again, there are, you know, there's, there's locks at different levels different artifacts inside of the database. Um, it's a whole sub-science of database tuning. And I am not a DBA. And 
I've probably proven <laughs> that uh, in, in something I've shared in the past few minutes. The reason I've used no lock, though, is if there's a lock on that table and I need to get to that data anyway, maybe there's, you know, maybe the thing I'm trying to go after, maybe the field I'm trying to go after is, you know, is just never updated. And in data warehousing, ETL, extract, transform, and load, it's not uncommon to uh, to go after something like uh, something we call a surrogate key. So it's an ID that we're going to map to a value, or perhaps there's a reference, a piece of reference data. And it may be that other, you know, other pieces of that row of data are being updated, and there's a lock on that table for that reason. But I'm confident, I have enough confidence that 99.9% of the time when I go after that reference data, the field I need or fields I need uh, are not changing. They remain stable and constant. But, you know, there's a lot of caveats in that statement that I just made. But I've done it. I've used NOLOC. It speeds up my query at just a touch. And, you know, and I've been able to retrieve that data and continue loading the data where. So if, if, if you're not really that concerned with like precision at a given moment, it, there's, it sounds like one of those things where it's one of those options that you, you, you need to have it there, but you need to be very judicious in how you use it. That's absolutely true. And, you know, I'll be honest as, as more options have become available, like using um, different isolation levels, um, and and also, I've, you know, I've just I'm trying to remember the uh, the CQRS. That's the acronym for having two databases, one that's just for writing to and another that's just for reading. And then you manage the states of those. You, you do um, something in, in the middle, some sort of uh, data engineering, data integration piece to keep those in sync as fast as possible. But CQRS is that way, and the, the key to making CQRS appealing, in my opinion, why there's two, really it's, it's two keys. But I'm going to focus on what I would replace my no-lock strategy is, is that that second database becomes read-only. The one I read from, that becomes a read-only copy. And right away, you do, a, you do away with, in a relational database engine with a lot of logging that's required if you're reading and writing to that database, if you set it to read only, uh, the estimates I've heard is it's 25 to 30% faster huh. just, just by making that change. So, you know, the idea here is to present accurate data as fast as possible uh, to business decision makers um, in a format that, uh, that facilitates them making these decisions. Uh, they, you want to be able to do the analytics and present the graphics in such a way so that when they look at the picture, they instantly glean something about the state of their business. It's especially important when things are going really, really bad. Uh, you, want to, you want to show them that as quickly as possible, and you want to give them as complete a picture as possible. Um, that's where accuracy and speed come in. Uh, so... That's what business intelligence and data analytics and all of the buzzwords that we can throw at this, now data science, um, that's really what that's all about. That's the, you know, the purpose Interesting. that we okay. serve with this. And no well, that's good to know. To um, that's, uh, I think that clears it up. Um, so just, just to make sure that I fully understand it, 
um, you know, it's the idea that if I need to know, there's a big transaction kind of pending on a database, and I just want to know how many rows, say for instance, are in the transaction or in the sales data table, right? I don't really, I, I just need a ballpark figure, right? Is it 10,000? Is it 20,000? Is it, mm -hmm. you know, no lock would be a good time to, well, that'd be a good reason to do that. Probably, probably like caveman simple example, but I mean, I think it's a good example of like, I don't really care what's going on or what, what transactions are pending. I just want a quick answer. It doesn't have to be perfect. I need to be close enough. Yeah, and Brent made a he, he made a comment that when he first said it, I was you know listening to it as we were recording the show. I was kind of nodding my head and going, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Well, to our listeners that don't know this, sometimes I, I I do the show notes, and I'll go and play the show back after it goes live, or sometimes before it goes live, and I'll start capturing comments and filling in you know links and stuff like that, like I'm going to do for this show. And I was listening to that comment again, and I thought. That's probably the best disguise snark I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Um, he he talked about it. I forget. He he used the phrase I think twice about uh, business executives making bad decisions. Yes, that was in there. I heard that, and I, I didn't. I, I I edit I edit the shows. That's generally how the workflow goes. I edit, and Andy does show notes. Mm -hmm. And the reason why those are two separate gigs is because by the time you're done editing, you've heard it enough times. You don't want to hear it again. Um, so uh, I, when I was going through that, I'm like, I can't tell. Was he serious or was that snark? I couldn't – I honestly could not tell because it could have gone either way, which I think is just yeah, – kind of shows his genius actually because it's a true genius that uh, – what's the – there was a saying like a, um, uh, someone who's really talented can, can tell you to go to hell and then you'd look forward to go to the trip. <laughs> Like it was just something like that. I think it's an old Irish proverb or something like yep. that. But I think you're right. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, so with that, I think that was. Uh, I think we kind of answered that question. Hopefully, uh, if not, we're happy to do another viewer mail show, um, listener mail. Um, yep. And and remember, you can email Andy and straighten me straighten out. Straighten him out. I'm sure I didn't do it justice. I need it. Before you send that. that nasty gram, go go check out Kendra's um, write up on this. Because right. it's actually a, oh, video. It's a video. Oh. Three minute video. Yeah, three minutes of your day. Listen to it. Learn learn from um and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not positive. Kendra may also be a Microsoft certified master at SQL Server. She's smart and she does a really good job with communicating. So listen to her. Cool. Cool. Um, so then our next round of questions um, has us, um, it's almost, and I was going to do a nice clever little segue where you were talking about, you know, having the raw data and then having the visualizations kind of like to the, to the C-suite. And I was like, you know, that sounds like a soup to nuts conversation. And that um, would have been a great segue. Um, into. Uh, over to... Um, basically the data soup virtual summit so uh for those of you who don't know um we're having we're hosting uh, our first virtual summit on uh basically we're calling it the data engineering um kind of flavor right because it's soup get it um uh. it, the graphics are gonna look cool i promise you that <laughs> um 
so what we're what we're calling this is the Data Soup Virtual Summit, and you know you'll notice that when we do the Campbell's Ask Soup Can, uh, it has data engineering flavor. And what this one is really going to be, because it's virt because it's a virtual summit, right? We don't have to pay for a facility. We don't have. There's a lot of things we don't have to worry about. We don't have to worry about meals. We don't have to worry about right. food and things like that. Um, so. One of the things that came up, and we are going to go on another meander, and I'm going to try to keep it short on the meander. Uh, when Andy and I uh, met up up in Northern Virginia, uh, pretty about almost two months ago, right? Um, yeah, yeah. We, um, I was telling him a story about this this cool word I heard. It was called cryptonesia. And long story short, it was from Arthur C. Clarke had a TV show on on one of the cable networks. I think it was originally a BBC production that was broadcast here on one of the cable networks that used to be educational, but now uh, are all about swamp people, um, people, uh, honey boo boo and like other 90 day fiancés, right? It was on one of those channels. And, um, but basically he, he had a thing and, and, and one of the situ one of the, one of the, the shows, what was unique about it, he would, he would cover kind of, I think it was called Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. And he would cover kind of like, you know, X-Files type phenomena, but he'd, he'd do it with a scientific eye. And the reason why I really liked his show, aside from it, him being Arthur C. Clarke, was like he wouldn't always dismiss things offhand, right? Most of the time he would, right? You know, like, come on, you know, aliens built the pyramids? Right. Like, really? <laughs> you kind of do that. But every once in a while, I'd be like, you know, I, I can't find any scientific reason to explain this, but it doesn't mean – you know, I can't, it, it doesn't mean it's not happening, right? That was kind of this thing. But one of the ideas he posited for one of the uh, phenomena he encountered was something called cryptonesia, which means you remember something, but you don't remember where you heard it. So mm. with that sidetrack kind of out of the way, um, as you know, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I read a lot of books. I've, I, my target for this year is 60 books. Um, I'm at 31 as of today. Um, nice. The John D. Rockefeller well, book has like, really delayed me. I was going to say, uh, caveat on Titan. Right. Uh, it's a thirty-five. It's a thirty-five hour book, and my average like listening time is about thirty-five hours. So, like, it, it basically sucked up the whole month. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, fascinating book. Um, highly recommended. It. it is worth the thirty-five hours, even if it screws up my little metric. <laughs> Um, sure. but, um, one of the terms that one of the, one of the analogies I remember hearing, and I, I can't remember which book it was because all the ideas after ideas after a while kind of merged together into like one blur. So was this, there was this, you were saying that, yeah, that thing. And that's basically cryptonesia. I remember I, it's, this is not my original idea, but I do remember hearing it and I don't remember. Right. Um, although cryptonesia would be, I really don't remember. And I think it was my idea. I think that's – someone's going to call me out on that. I know that. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, the point is is that there was one story about how factories used to be water-powered, right? They, they would always be by a water, and it would be like a big water wheel, right? And all the power oh, yeah. for yeah. all the machines in the factory would come off that basically that one shaft in the middle of the factory. Right. Right? As factories became electrified um, – the power could be anywhere in the building, right? As long as you ran a wire to it. But for at least 10 years, maybe even a generation of, of factory kind of designers, 
they would always put things in that one line, right? It took a, it took a generation for them to realize, oh yeah, we're not tied to this old paradigm anymore, right? It was the, 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 the technology shift happened before the mind shift. Interesting. The same holds true. And you're like, somebody's listening right now. Like, where is he going with this one? Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back right now. Um, we're calling it a virtual summit. And there's a lot of these, right? This is kind of like the hot new thing. Um, I think there's going to be a um, uh, a Microsoft Office one um, in, in September. We're doing ours in August, just saying. Um, <laughs> but there's already been there's already been a number of these, and they use the term virtual summit, even though it's not confined to a particular time, it's not confined to a t- particular place. So the whole notion right. of what it means to be a summit is a bit like that factory, right? Like we're not confined to being right off that shaft, if you will, you know. And and that shaft is one bad mother. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Talking about shaft. <laughs> All right. So that, that, that joke is a reward for people who, who were on that little sidetrack there. But um, we're not, you know, because we're not tied to a physical location or a, a particular point in time, the, the key is that um, there's a lot of confusion with a lot of the terms. So one of the things I've been getting is, oh, I'd love to attend, but I'm on vacation that week. Right. And I'm like, well, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that's why I've been I've been changing kind of our marketing tweets and things like that to say instead of takes place on yes. this point in time. Yes. I'm saying it launches this point in time. That's and that's more accurate because explain right. why that's more accurate. It's more accurate because what we're doing with a lot of these sessions is because well one, because it's virtual, there's no we don't have to fly Reza in from New Zealand right, right and have him present and then fly him home, right? So one, that's, that's, a, that's a considered cost savings for us. But yes. we're able to capture kind of global talent. Um, you know, Catherine from Norway, although she's in the U.S. a lot. So, you know, if we timed it right, um, uh, we, we're not confined to time or space, which sounds very uh, science fiction. Uh, but what we're doing actually for this first one, future ones, I think we're going to do live streams and and. and we still may do kind of like the opening remarks and the closing remarks as a live feed. I don't think Andy knows that yet, but um, uh, <laughs> I've not given up on that. I've not given up on that. But um, as of now, everything is going to be pre-recorded. So they're going to pre-record their sessions and we'll have a way, probably a Slack channel, probably maybe the Facebook group. I don't know yet. Um, being totally transparent because this is experimental, right? There are no, there are a very precious few best practices for a virtual summit right? Um, and, and almost none for a technology virtual summit. So we are, we are among the cutting edge in this. So that's why we're kind of like, we kind of stumbled out of the gate um, <laughs> getting this off the ground. Um, yep, yep. So we are, uh, we are going to continue. We're going to do this. It, uh, we're going to learn, take the lessons we learned from the first one rather than wait until it's perfect. Right. Um, and then we're going to have a series of these, but because they're virtual, uh, it doesn't matter. Like if you're on vacation, the whole month of August doesn't matter. We're going to have the material online, at least. I think as of now, it's stated till no, uh, at least till November. I'm probably just going to make it till the end of 2019, honestly. At this point, oh. um, so people can sign up at any time, right? And then go listen to the presentations from the Data Suit Virtual Summit. And- exactly. 
if they have questions, we're going to have some place, either Slack or the Facebook page, where they can come ask those questions, and then the presenters will answer them. Exactly. And I think even Catherine says that she wants to be there, like, on her computer, wherever she is in the world, because she travels a lot, answering those questions live. That's pretty cool. Now, I'm um, sure, like, it's the middle of Rezos night. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think, I think we both were like, well, don't feel like you have to do it. <laughs> but again, right, right. We are learning from this. We're going to learn as much from this, I think, as our audience is going to learn from it. Um, so we're, oh, we're, I'm sure. Um, you know what? But what the real key advantage here is that because the cost of doing this, and there is a cost to do it, right? That's why we're charging admission. Um, the cost of doing this is low enough that we can just say, you know what? We'll have a whole day of sessions just on Cosmos DB. Just Cosmos DB. Right. Right. If we really wanted to, I suppose we could have an entire day of sessions just on no lock. Whether or not that's a good <laughs> idea, we'll, we'll see. But, I mean, the idea is we can niche down. That's, that's ultimately our vision here. Right. Is we can niche down and provide real value. Because you go to a big conference like yeah. Build. I love Build. I go if I can. But those are general sessions, right? There's sessions all the way from uh, data science and AI all the way down to, you know, um, virtual reality and, and, and mixed reality or, you know, developing stuff in Xamarin. No knock on any of those technologies. Sure, but sure. I personally, I'm only interested in one small subset of things. Right. Um, and, you know, this is the thought of having just a, a full day conference just on Cosmos DB in a physical thing at a big convention center is just unthinkable. It's just not economically feasible, I think. Right. Um, but because it's virtual, we can do that. So hopefully... I'm digging. Sorry, what? I said I'm digging. Awesome. We're, we are super excited, and you spell that O-U-P-E-R. We're going to try to make that a thing. All right. I'm going to try to make that a thing. Uh -huh. But hopefully that answers the questions we've been having. So the, the primary thing is, it uh, doesn't matter where you live. Um, doesn't matter um, when you watch it because it's basically going to be available from August 14th until the end of the year. Um, I'll make the adjustment now uh, or after the recording is done. Um, originally, it was going to be just for 90 days, but I think just to be just to be you know good to our people who are taking a chance on our experiment here. <laughs> um, I want to make sure the first one goes off well, and then we'll figure out other stuff for future ones. So hopefully that answers the questions. It's a virtual summit. You, you don't have to watch it when they premiere, because ultimately, basically what we're doing is we're, we're uploading these things and we're premiering them kind of in sequence. So if you want to experience it like you were like watching something live, totally can do that. If you don't want to do it and you want to do like how I watch Game of Thrones, I basically binge watched it. Um, the first five seasons after, well, basically, because I had a free HBO for like 90 days. Um, cool. But you can do it that way, too. Though I would recommend buying it before like December. So you have, you know, <laughs> the sooner you buy, the, sooner, the longer the time you have to, to use it. Sure. So sure. hopefully that clears things up. I, I think it's a fantastic idea, Frank. And for those who, well, people don't know because it was stuff you and I talked about. We've been talking about um, different kinds of events since, gosh, back in the day. And we mentioned this on 
on another show. Uh, it's actually a season three uh, opener here with uh, JLD. When we were talking before that, uh, Frank and I have been organizing events since 2005. So, you know, we've got, got experience with this. And we were thinking about doing something more like the traditional type of event. And we wanted to. As we work through it, it's there's just a lot of stuff that has to go right. Right. And, uh, and to do that. It's not easy. Yeah, exactly. And the Azure Data Fest folks, particularly here in the East Coast, um, they do a really good job of doing what we would want to do. They do. So, they do that already. Right, they do that already. They do a good job. And, um, you know, there's plenty of options to do that. So then, you know, I kind of did my like thinking of the thought experiment of like, well, how could we take events to the next level? Right. Yeah. You could do webcasts and stuff like that, but that's not quite mm -hmm. the same. Right. So sure. what's, what's kind of the next level. And when I kind of stumbled across um, the notion of virtual summits, I was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. And I think I sent it to you. And I think we both had yep. the same reactions to him. We should do one of these. <laughs> Yeah. And right. here we out. are. Um, <laughs> and um, so we have that. Um, one of the interesting things that we're doing is kind of an experiment. And this has been this has caused a lot of confusion, too, um, is that when you buy a ticket. Uh, we obviously have discount codes. If you use data driven, um, although by the time this goes live, it'll be 50 percent, not 70 percent. Um, right. It was 70 you know, pays to listen. <laughs> That's it. Should have listened earlier. Um, but um, but still, I mean, uh, fifty percent is still the the base price is twenty five dollars. So we're still looking at like twelve fifty. Still a good deal. So hopefully that clears kind of up this thing. It is a new animal. Don't feel bad for being confused. I assure you, we're as confused as you are. Maybe more. Yeah. Certainly, the, originally we were going to do this a month ago. Um, yes. But. For reasons numerous, uh, varied, and sundried, um, it didn't happen. Part of it was the confusion. Part of it is uh, we're actually delivering this through a SaaS platform um, that itself was built to support um, actually with a blogging conference, blogging virtual summit. Um, and their UX is getting better every day. And that's all I'll say there. <laughs> I don't want to trash them because they've been nice people. Um, yeah. but you know, it's, it's clear, clearly it's new for them too. So it's more than a web, it's more than a webinar, but if it helps you mentally process it, think of it as kind of like a tag team webinar. I mean, that's another yep. great way to look at it. So it's a little more than a webinar, less than, um, less than an actual physical summit. And you're right. Andy and I have been talking about doing something like this again, Azure data fest does it so well, we didn't want to compete and I don't want to add things to the market or anything where I'm not adding really good value to it. You know, which is why if you yeah. go back to like two summers ago, I did that the daily update of news in the data science and AI space. Mm -hmm. But then I realized I wasn't really, I wasn't adding value. I was adding to the noise, mm -hmm. you know, and then I decided to do that type of stuff on my blog, Frank's World, which I do kind of distill. And that, I think those types of things, I think, work better for print than they do audio. Yeah, if you haven't checked out franksworld.com, um, which is the URL for Frank's World of Data Science. That's right. You should you should check that out. And and, and what we're doing, you know, what I'd say this about what we've done, and you know, kind of by way of, um, you know, Frank's alluded to us uh, 
experimenting and trying and testing. There's a concept in business that uh, goes along with this. If you're familiar with the lean, uh, lean manufacturing, lean software development, it's, it's that philosophy. And the whole idea behind a minimally viable product is, is you, you know, it, it's kind of like ready, fire, aim. Um, and we're doing a little bit of that. So don't be, uh, don't be thrown. And by the way, I encountered that phrase first in manufacturing, uh, reading books back in the early 80s. So, so how did you read before there was a Kindle? Uh, there was these great, strange things. Uh, with It starts with trees. <laughs> so, um, which I think that iterative process really ties into the third question we're going to tackle. And I don't know if we're going to hit it uh, quite to the degree that the listener asked, <laughs> but we will try. Um, yep. Speed is better than uh, – and perfectly done fast is better than perfectly done in the distance. So the question I got from uh, one of our loyal listeners, uh, his name is Bob, uh, in the UK. So uh, no – Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. No, no last name because of GDPR. All right. Um, <laughs> um GDPR jokes don't get quite the laughter they used to, do they? Afraid, afraid not. Anyway, um, so his question was, you know, what's the science aspect of data science? And you said his dad was a physicist, and you know, th th there's a whole notion inside the data, inside science, uh, where you have the scientific method, right? Where you start off with a hypothesis, you come up with some um, theories, and then you test your theories, and then you observe the results. And then what you do is you kind of go back and alter your hypothesis and come up with new theories and new tests, and it's an iterative process, right? So I thought that iterative process of what we're doing with lean, you know, lean manufacturing or this kind of try, see what works, see what doesn't, and adjust and adapt and evolve is also a very iterative process. So I think um, – Absolutely. Um, so his question was really along the lines of, you know, how much science is there in data science versus how much is it marketing and hype? And I think the bad news, that's a fair question. That's a great question, right? Cause like how much of this is, yeah, yeah. and, and, and the, the term science is also so misused in day-to-day -day, uh, speech. It, it really, is. Um, yeah. So the, the, the notion of quote unquote pure science where you have an idea and you test it and you observe the results and then go back and change it. I like Adam Savage's mm -hmm. definition um, that I heard on. He was one of the MythBusters, mm -hmm. and he, at one point they were they were going to do something like crazy ridiculous, which kind of pointed the show. He stopped, turned to the camera, and said, "Remember, kids, if you don't write it down, it's not science. But if you write it down, you can do all sorts of crazy things." I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> um, so I encourage uh, when I. When I talk to enterprise teams or, or just teams of people, I encourage them to be playful with their data. There's actually a data point way back where you need to be playful with your data. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to this um, this one team, and they were like, you know, this data is so bad, we can't get a model off it. And they were complaining about it. I'm like, well, why don't you just drop that data and then try adding this other stuff in and see what happens? They were like, oh, no, we can't do that. You know? <laughs> and I was like, hold on, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Why can't you do that? Well, you know, management does. I was like, okay, this matter. You have to take this. You have to approach. The, you have to put the science back in the data science here, right? You have to 
experiment, right. tweak, play with the data, see what you get. If it's a complete flop, that's fine. And you know that didn't work. If it happens to predict, you know, predict when, you know, the predictive maintenance thing that they were trying to get, then, you know, that's a win. So, you know, then you can go to management like, well, you know, when we use the data you told us to use, you know, we got, you know, 40% accuracy. When we, when we did this and we dropped this, you know, we got 89% accuracy. How do you want to go with that? Like, how do you want to go forward with that? Like, it, you know, it doesn't have to be this as confrontational as I just said it, but it also, you're not also locked in the right. traditional world of kind of enterprise IT where, you know, somebody pontificates from a corner office on the top floor and then it kind of rolls downhill. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't right. have to be that way. <laughs> It'll, you know, um, with when, you know, being very playful with the data and you know, you're not going to give a daily report of like, well, hey, you know, I tweaked this hyperparameter and look what happened. You're not going to be that. I mean, realistically, it's not going to happen. But if you if you approach right. it from the point of view of let's be experimental, you can go a lot further. So, you but, know, Frank, this reminds me of uh, some of the some of the crazy things I've heard. So one of the, you know, one thing we say in data is that uh, correlation does not equal causation. Right. You know, it's an easy mistake to make, especially for, you know, people with an engineering mindset. There's a term for seeing patterns everywhere. I heard it again recently. And it's like, whether they're there or not, you see them. And I'm guilty of that, hands down. I, I am. Uh, but over time, I've gotten better at doing, you know, detecting uh, false positives and, and uh, you know, more, you know, being, being better able to classify stuff. But I find it fascinating, these um, correlations between the March Madness uh, predictive analytics that occur, you know, with college basketball uh, every year and the, the Jersey colors. There, there is a website, that? and we'll have to put it in the show notes, but it's called Spurious yeah. Correlations. Yes. And it turns out that uh, the number of, <laughs> I forget what it is, but the number of Nicolas Cage movies um, also is somehow, you know, you know, somehow related to um, recalls of wheelchair parts or something like completely not related. You know. Um, wow. Well, and, and there's a group of, of uh, people that um, I'm not sure if they're still doing it anymore or not. I, I hope I, I hope that they do because it's hilarious. Um, and they've done this at many events, Microsoft uh, people, engineers, and they call it oh, the, the, cool. um, the BI Power Hour. And they would feature some of the spurious uh, correlations. The one I found hilarious a few years ago was they were talking about shark attacks and you know, and the and the location data recorded for the shark attack, <laughs> and some of them were in the Midwest. And so they, I'm not making this up. And they they basically came away with uh, <laughs> land sharks. That that has to be the answer. So, so all right. So I, I found the website. There in um, and here it sure, is. So here's but, a correlation. We'll put it in the show okay. notes. But it's basically number of people who drowned by falling into a pool has a correlation with films Nicolas Cage has appeared in. I'm, I'm going to the site now. I got to um, look at this. The second one down. I'm with you. 
It's just so bizarre that you have to like. Let me, let me put this <laughs> but I mean, I think that's one of the things that when I first got into this, when I first um, did statistics and studied that again, and I was like, you know, that was that aha moment of wow. Um, you know, this is you know correlation is not causation. You know, are could there be things in the middle that can kind of explain it? Right. Ah, maybe there, I mean, there could be. Right, but those are kind of the things that like the the Freakonomics blog and oh, yeah. podcast is about, right? Like the kind of you know number of like there's another one further down the list, you know, a divorce rate in Maine uh, with per capita consumption of margarine. Like maybe margarine's cheaper, and divorce rates are you know <laughs> a lot, one big driver for divorce is financial trouble, right? So maybe like by going to <laughs> I'm making this up. This is yeah, I don't know, but but there could be something invisible there. I'm not saying there's anything right. you know uh anything to do with Nicolas Cage and right. and drowning in pools, but I mean there there that's that's kind of like the realm of the Freakonomics blog and you know um, anything by Malcolm Gladwell where he talks about things that you wouldn't necessarily would be connected, but there is this whole long series of chains of events that yeah, maybe there is. It could be, and it's, you know, and, and that happens in uh, science other than data science. I mean, the statistics, wherever you find statistics, you're going to find this opportunity for, you know, a false correlation um, or misidentification of a causation. And this is why, in my humble opinion, good science is iterative and it's about, prove, you know, it's about failing to prove your theory wrong. This way more than it's about proving your theory right. And and you know me, Frank. I, I'll get on my soapbox here any minute because it bothers me when I see science, especially science that's applied to policy. Right, right, right. So, I mean, I, mean, I would say is that whenever I hear a study now, particularly when I was studying statistics, not so much now, I've kind of mellowed a bit, but I'll be like, I'll hear like a study. I'm like, oh yeah, what's the p value? Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll be listening to like the radio, then the news comes on, and like, they'll be like, oh, a study, <laughs> a new study suggests that you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, what's the p value on that? You know, but I mean, I think, yeah. I think, I think we all have to take <laughs> results of these studies um, with a grain of salt. Uh, we, you know, there was this the post right. around uh, April Fool's Day this year, where they were said something yeah. to the effect of. Um, you know, anything you see today, you should not take it face value, you know, investigate it and figure out what they're real, what's really going on. And then there was like this ellipse there, ellipsis, and it was like, just like you should any other day of the year, <laughs> <laughs> which is right. Right. You know, you, oh, these the, days. so hopefully Bob, we answered your I, question. I totally I'm sorry, Andy, I cut you off. Yeah, hope so. that's okay. I hope we did, uh, Bob. But um, it's it's really fair question. The I, I think you know I think the gist of it is that the term science has been co opted, and I would say it has evolved. But devolved really maybe right debased. I think it has been debased. Maybe devolved. It's been debased. Yeah, it hasn't been a good thing. Um, particularly. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, if you read any of the keto books or the Atkins um, book, 
uh, he has some choice words. Dr. Atkins in his um, um, his first book on his diet, um, he has some choice words for mm-hmm. kind of how the uh, what became the dietary guidelines for Americans, how that kind of co-opted science to make that happen. And there's a you know a Absolutely. fairly non-controversial or least controversial way to see where policy and science, when they mix, um, you don't get science. Science is kind of washed out. So, and if you look at the consequences of it, right, um, when those dietary guidelines came out, the obesity rates prior to that and post that, there's no, there's no comparison. Oh, but this is not a keto podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one I, day maybe there will be. No, it isn't. But you know, one day. But we we talked about, um, you know, we talked about some of these some of the ways that yeah. you know, scientists misapply. And now it's my turn to totally forget the rest of my. Happens story. to the best Go of ahead. us. All right. So with that, hopefully we answered all your questions. If you have any more questions, you have Andy's email address and I am frank.lavinia at gmail.com. You can always hit me up on Twitter. Um, I'm even on Instagram too, as at Frank's world TV. And um, yeah, so I don't think we're that hard to find, find us on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I'm on, I'm on Twitter as at tablet tier. And you are at Andy Leonard, right? Awesome. So with that, if we didn't answer your question quite to your satisfaction, we can do another one of these. If if we did, give us a thumbs up. And uh, be sure to give us a nice rating on iTunes and or Spotify. Spotify is starting to uh, take a lot of the the gravitas away from iTunes. And um, I once again lost my chain of thought. so with that, hopefully we answered your question. I'm going to say that again. So if you have any more questions or you're confused about anything about this virtual summit, because it is kind of a new thing for us, uh, and also look at the show notes because Andy's going to put the article slash video from Kendra about no luck. And go to datasoupsummit.com. Make sure to enter code DATADRIVEN for a 50% discount. Is that it? That's all I got. That's it. Awesome. Well, you have a great day, and let's let the nice British lady end the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen. Become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.